as a team that was developing the discipleship process, a mission statement, core values, um, and our measures for Thrive Church, learned very quickly that there's three aspects to the church that are vitally important. We call these, the, these three things the three things that make us thrive as Christians. Now, some might debate on that. You know, we, we gather and worship, we grow in groups, and we go in service. These are the three key elements that we believe are a necessity for discipleship. In other words, for you to be the best you can be for the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe these three elements are going to help you get from point A to point B. And they're all biblical. And so for the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to talk about three to thrive, gather and worship. I've thought about this, and I'm sure some of you have thought about this this afternoon. Why do I go to church? <laughs> Why am I getting up for those that get up early to go to an early service? And for us, we only have one service. It's in the afternoon. Why am I getting up, getting in my vehicle? Before I even get in the vehicle, why am I getting myself together to look somewhat presentable, to go to the library, to gather around some folks that I may not even want to talk to, and attend a church service? I mean, if you ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Couldn't I just watch? Couldn't I just watch online? Because you can, right? Couldn't I just listen to a podcast? Why don't I do if I if I did that, then I can select my own uh, music. I can, you know, I, I don't have to put up with Victor. Yeah, amen. I can literally choose my venue of worship. I'm talking about the music. I can pick any preacher I want from around the world to listen to. Why do I need to go to a location to gather with a bunch of people to attend church? You ever ask yourself that question? If you say no, then you're probably lying because we have all at some point asked ourselves the question, do we really need to go to church? Yes. And so many people that I've met, throughout the last three years, specifically going back to 2020 when we had COVID and the shutdown and all that, I've had people debate with me whether they should go to church. Do we really need that? I can gather together with my kids or my spouse. That's good enough. But the reality is, this is not a debatable issue. Um, after hearing what I just said, you'll probably think to yourself, do we really need to? I mean, it seems like a debatable issue, gathering together, but it's not a debatable issue. It's very biblical to attend church faithfully. And I, I want to help every one of us to understand the necessity of gathering in worship, attending church. After um, 2020, it was interesting to see how many people quit church. I mean, we had all the lockdowns and people were not able to attend church. They weren't able to go to theaters. They weren't able to do the most basic things outside of going to the grocery store. I mean, even Starbucks stayed open. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we couldn't really do much. After 2020, we entered into 2021, doors started opening for churches and people started getting involved back in their regular routines. But we've noticed that people during 2020 through 2021 started using COVID as an off-ramp to get out of church. For a matter of fact, statistics say that because of COVID-19, the pandemic, we've lost a third of church members. They've just quit. Churches are still trying to recover. They're trying to, st they're still trying to convince people that it's so important to go to church and people are still going, no, I'm satisfied just eating some waffles, sitting on my couch and watching church on online. 
But is it biblical? No, it's not. And so I, as a biblicist, want to give you truth from God's word, why we believe it's a necessity to gather for worship. There's multiple reasons why people don't always gather. It's because things happen. We'll get in that in just a minute. But I'm going to give you the biblical reason why we must gather and worship. Before I do, I want to make sure you understand what church is. Now, this may seem elementary for some of you, but for others, maybe it's fresh, maybe it's new, something you've never considered or thought about. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the literal gathering, the called out assembly of people, those that are coming together, if you would. Uh, the word is speaking of born-again believers that are coming together. You are the church. Now, I'm going to use a word, and I don't want you to get nervous when I use this word because it's very important for you to understand. There's the universal church, and then there's the local church. Uh, church was mentioned for the first time in Matthew chapter 16. It's the first time we hear mention of the church. And the church was defined in two ways as we look in the New Testament. One is the universal church. Now, is the word universal used in Scripture? Not necessarily. But the very principle of the universal church is. Now, watch this. What is the universal church? Let me make it very simplistic. The universal church represents every single believer that has trusted Jesus Christ yeah. across the world. Now, who are those people? They are the church. Doesn't matter if they're in Africa, doesn't matter if they're in Australia or America. If they're believers in Jesus Christ, they're part of the church. We call the church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, the body of Christ. Now, this may seem elementary to some, but it's very important if you don't understand. The body of Christ is literally illustrated by Paul in 1 Corinthians as a human's body. The head is Christ. He's the head of the church. The body, the body parts, are the individuals, those that are saved believers. They are the individual parts of the church. It could be the finger. It could be the hand, the arm. Each one of you represents something very important and crucial within the church to do. You fulfill that uh, by your spiritual gift. Now, we make up the body of Christ. We are the church. That's the universal church. But the church is also defined as the local church. It's a location uh, of saved believers that come together, then saved, baptized. They come together for worship, to develop friendship, fellowship, accountability. And where they gather is dependable. It's dependable. What does that mean? I'm saying it depends on this very aspect. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, dependable. But it depends on this. It depends on your city, your town, or your building. It could be a library. It could be, actually, it wasn't the word at all, dependable. It could be the library. It could be a school building where our ascending church started. Fellowship Baptist Church started in a school building. It could be as easy as something in your li living room. It is simplistically saying it's a location where we gather as believers. It's the local church. Now, watch this. This is very important. Paul addressed this in two different ways. He addressed the cities and he addressed the homes. So he would address the church and he said this in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22. He referenced the church of Jerusalem. That's a city. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, he referenced the church of God, which is at Corinth. But he also addresses the church is of those that are gathered within homes. 
So that is a location where they're meeting, a local location where believers come together to grow, to worship. And let me make sure you understand, when I use the word worship, I'm not necessarily speaking of vocally worshiping in song. Some people get that confused. When we gather to worship, it is growing as believers because we're, we're digging into God's word, we're hearing the message, we're singing together, we're worshiping together, but we're praying together and we're working together. That's gathering and worship. So you have the universal church, that's the body of Christ, that's the church. You and me make up the church. And then you have the local church, it's a location, it could be a home, it, it could be a, a, a building, it could actually be a church, obviously. It could be a library. Now, that, that's clear. What does the Bible say about attending church? This is where we lose people. People get upset about this. You can't tell me that I have to go to church. I don't need to actually go in person to church. But the reality is, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25, attending church consistently is biblical. So I want to draw your attention to that, okay? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, and then we're going to look at verse 25. And I, I want to be very expository about this. I want to just follow scripture verse by verse, line by line, okay? And we begin in the beginning of the verse in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now watch this. To gather and worship is threefold. There's three action words that we see take place in verse 24 and verse 25. Consideration, participation, and exhortation. Now let me break it down. Consideration is at the very beginning of verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto good works, to love and unto good works. Now watch this. The verb here, consider, is a very important verb in the Greek because it, it's a present active verb which means this, it's continually, it's action, it's moving, it's continually considering one another to take action. Listen, it's a necessity for us to understand that when we gather and worship, we're doing this out of consideration for one another. Now, this can be confusing for some because they think to themselves, do I really need to consider everybody within the church? Do I need to consider where they're at and what they're going through? Is that even possible? The answer is no, it's not possible, but we need to make an intentional effort. Now watch what the Bible uses in, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible uses the same word consider when it comes to Jesus. Consider Jesus. This means to think on or prioritize. We make the greatest effort to consider fellow believers. We go above and beyond to consider one another. And so as we continue reading scripture, what are we to consider? What is scripture trying to tell us that we're to consider? It tells us to consider one another. That means you and me, but also as a group. It's very intentional what Paul says here. One another is a reference to the church body. It's us united together as a group. We're, we're not just asked to do this. We're commanded to do this. We're commanded to prioritize to consider one another. And what are we considering one another to do, to provoke? Now, I don't like the word provoke. I don't want anybody to provoke me, okay? This is not a, a negative word. You know, when the Bible refers to prov not to provoke your kids to wrath, when it's speaking of fathers, 
in, in, in the Bible reference that we as fathers in Ephesians chapter 6 are not to provoke our kids to wrath, this is not the provoke that Paul is addressing. The provoke here in this passage of scripture is positive. We're to stir up. We're to prod. We're to, to provoke in such a way that people feel motivated to move forward. Now, I think the best way to explain this is in two ways. The word provoke is in reference to the stirring and the spurring. Now watch this. When you're working on a cattle farm, they're not going to follow your lead. They're going to follow the prodding and the pushing. They're going to go where they're pushed to go. Often as believers, we're to do the same thing with one another. Come on, let's go. Let's keep this going. Come on, move, move. We're prodding, we're provoking to go in the right direction. When we gather together, we consider one another to provoke. Now, there's two things we're provoking one another to do. Before I get to that, I want to explain the stirring. You know as well as I do, it's easy to stir certain people up. You can push their buttons very easily. People get stirred up about politics. And they get stirred up about sports. And they get stirred about uh, games. We got gamers. They get all stirred up. Now they get stirred up in two ways, negative and positive. Some people get wound up about it and they get all bent out of shape. And you know, you don't talk about politics with them. You never get on that subject because we know where it's going to go. And then you got others that just enjoy those conversations. They get stirred and excited about the topics of the Word of God. They're stirring. So when it comes to the believers, we're to consider one another to provoke two very important things, to stir up two very important things. This morning, I compromised. I do this once in a while. I've confessed my sins to you. I, instead of going to Starbucks, I, I went to Mickey D's because they have an iced coffee, and their iced coffee isn't too bad. And I'll, I'll get the iced coffee once in a while, and I went this morning. And exactly what I thought would happen happened. I get the iced coffee, and outside of the coffee, there's two very important ingredients. Vanilla and creamer. And if these two elements don't stir together, then the drink is nasty. Dirty. It's irrelevant. It's not good. It's not enjoyable. Now watch this. When the elements that are in this drink come together and stir together, it becomes enjoyable, very effective. <laughs> it, it mixes with the caffeine and that coffee, and it's just got this beautiful taste. But I know when I'm pulled up, and I look in the window and I see them putting together whether it's going to be stirred up or not. Because they usually just pump the very bottom is, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the cream right here in the middle. And then you got the vanilla in the bottom and then you got the water in the top because I let the ice melt because I didn't want to drink this drink. And the reality is if they don't take the time to stir it, it's going to look and remain like this, stagnant. I feel what's happened within the church is we've got two very important elements that have not been stirred up. And Paul says if they're not stirred up, like the cream and the vanilla, if you would, then there's a problem with the church. Now watch. What are those things that we are to stir up, these two important ingredients? Well, the Bible continues in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. We're to stir up people to love. Now, the problem with love today is that we've redefined it. We've defined love 
according to what we think love is. Love is not love. It doesn't define itself. Love is defined by one word. The word is God. And when we bypass that, love is no longer effective. Because the foundation of love is always truth, and the truth is God. And Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Beloved, that's you and me, believers in Jesus Christ, let us love one another. The, word, the two words, one another, is in reference to this passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, which is consider one another. Beloved, brothers and sisters of Christ, when you gather together, let us love one another. Why? Well, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. It is an impossibility to love without God. Now, you can have an understanding of love to a degree, but the fullness of love can only come to a person when they understand who God is and the love of God. You will never fully love your spouse like you should unless you understand the love of God. Because a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. You're never going to love your children like you should unless you understand the fullness of God's love, the knowledge of that. Because he's our heavenly father and what he does for us as the children of God is the way we are to act and, and, and perform as mothers and fathers. It's a beautiful picture. That is love. No, the scripture goes on to say, for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. There it is. Love is just not love. Love is God. And if love, your definition of love, is contrary to God's word, then it is not love at all. It has to be in conjunction with God and his principles, his standards, and his word. So what are we to do as a church? We are to consider one another. We are to consider one another to provoke, to stir up two very important elements, two important ingredients. One is love. We're to love one another. We're to love as God loves. I think we miss this too often. We think even as Christians we truly love, but we don't. I've seen too many churches that believe that they love people, but they're legalistic and they're angry and they're mad. They're always doing things contrary to Scripture. They don't practice love the way Jesus did. And so they're thinking they're on the right track and this is what love is and this is what love looks like. But they've also defined love, even though they're a pastor, even though they might be a deacon or an elder within the church. They've defined it according to their ideas and their traditions, which is just as wrong as the way the world defines love. Are you all following me? Yep. Paul says this to the church. He said, listen, you can speak in tongues and have every one of the spiritual gifts, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. You're just like an annoying uh, uh, instrument that's playing. You're obnoxious. You're you are not accomplishing anything that's effective as a church. Why is that? Because you're lacking love. So Paul says in the book of Hebrews, church, we got to consider one another and we're going to provoke and stir up two very important things, love and good works. And good works, so simplistic People think they're accomplishing good things in their life, but they bypass the very principles of Jesus Christ. We don't consider what Jesus did to invest in the world and to love the world. If we bypass the principles of Jesus Christ, we're not performing good works. Let me say this. 
when we come together and consider one another and start provoking and stirring love and good works, we're motivated to work together to fulfill the Great Commission. We won't have one or two that'll go out Saturday as we go door to door to get the word out about Thrive Church. We'll have multiple people that are stirred up and saying, we got to do this, right? We're all in this together. We're going to love our community, but also we're going to do good works. You can't have one without the other. Let's consider one another in the need of the community and let's do this together. There's this consideration, but watch what Paul does here. And Paul shifts gears and he says in chapter 10, verse 25, that we're also to do something else. Consideration, but also participation. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. The word forsake means to desert. It's purposely, willingly, and intentionally abandonment. It's like, I am done. I am turning my back. The same word is used on the cross when Jesus cried out to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the same word. Why have you turned your back on me? Because we know in that moment, because Jesus Christ was bearing the sins of all mankind, that God the Father, my God, and God the, the, the Spirit the, is turning from the presence of, of sin. Now watch this. It's very important. There's an abandonment. Even within the church, you see Paul addressed this when he was on his missionary journey and he had multiple people that would go with him. And at one point, one of the men that was by his side, uh, Demas, turned his back and abandoned, forsook him. Same word. Where am I going with this? Watch. The church. When it comes to the church, we're not to forsake, to abandon the assembling of ourselves together. We're not to turn our backs on what the church is trying to accomplish in the gathering together of one another. It's important for us to recognize that we need each other. Y'all following me? Yes, sir. I need y'all to perk up here, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I feel like the church is lacking unity. And I'm not talking about just little Thrive Church. I'm talking about churches across the United States. We got mega churches. Pastor don't even know 15 people within the church because there's so many of them. There's no unity. There's no fellowship. There's no accountability. We're all just going through the motions. We show up. We listen. We sing. We pray. We leave. There's no participation. Y'all following me? We understand the importance of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We see the importance of it, but often we don't see the importance of participating together. You know why this was such a big deal for Paul? Why this was such an issue for the church? Because at the time of Paul, when he was writing to the church, multiple people within the church were turning their back and forsaking the assembling of themselves together. And the reason why is because there was so much persecution. There was so much persecution to this extent that their friends and family said, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to claim him, and be baptized and gather together with other believers, then you are no longer part of our family. To the extent that some would actually have a funeral for their family members to say they no longer exist to us. They weren't participating in the synagogue anymore because they weren't part of Judaism. And because of that, because they were Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, their friends and their family were turning their back on them. 
Not only that, the synagogue. For some, they even struggled to get a job. And the reason why is because there were so many of people that were in the church, Sadducees, that were controlling the enterprise of, uh, of the employment through the synagogue. They had this control, and they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And anybody that would believe that was contrary to their teaching, their doctrines, their ideas, and so they were outcast. And so they were pulling strings to say, hey, don't employ them. Hey, turn your back on them. They're not welcome in the synagogue. Why? Because they're not practicing Judaism. They believe in Jesus Christ. So these people started drifting from the church. And so Paul writes a letter and says, listen, listen, listen. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I know you're persecuted. I know your family's turning their backs on you. I know you're not able to go to the synagogue. I understand that you're having a hard time getting a job. But listen, stay strong. You know why that concerns me? Because I, I find people that don't go to church because they have a sniffle. Their allergies are just kicking in. It's that time of year. I woke up and just, oh, sinuses, killing me. We all got sinuses, people. We all get sinuses. We, we, we all experience some things. And let me say this. Let me speak into this. I find it very important not to attend church if you've got COVID, if you're dealing with the flu, if you're dealing with sickness. Obviously, you don't want to spread that within the church. But when we get to the point that we let our guard down to the extent that we're willing to compromise attending church faithfully because we have an outing, because we have a, maybe a sporting activity, there's some things that slowly creep in and they dominate who we are. We're a very unique church because we meet at 2 o'clock, so it throws a monkey wrench into everything, right? I mean, most people can get up, they get in, they go to church at 9.30 and they have 11 o'clock service. So that opens up the opportunity to do things with friends and family, sporting activities in the afternoon. So it's a little different for us. We're in a very difficult position in the middle of the afternoon having service. So I know that plays into it often. But let me say this. We always need to examine ourselves as families, as friends, to really evaluate why are we choosing to not assimilate ourselves together and participate in the church? Is it a reason that is justifiable? Is what we're doing reasonable to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? I've often said if we could just have one Sunday where everybody shows up, we would be running 75 to 80. You say there's no way we have that many in our church. You would be surprised. It would blow your mind. It's just that life is difficult. There's sickness, there's problems, there's vacations. My goodness, I'm looking forward to it. And you guys will be on your own. Hallelujah, I get to go to Florida. We love that. We got family. We have things in our lives that are very important and crucial. But the question must be asked, why do we forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Sift your decision before you make your decision to miss church. Because I'm going to tell you, you are not persecuted. You say, Dave, you don't know my life. You are not persecuted. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. But at the end of verse 25, we're going to realize that we better get on the ball because the day is approaching quickly of the return of Jesus Christ. And then the closer it gets, we'll start being persecuted. Yeah. Ain't nobody three years from now going to be gathering in a library digging in God's word because it's a government building. Y'all following me? Persecution, our definition of persecution is so far from the reality of biblical persecution. Yeah. Participation. There's a little boy. Him and his dad is sitting right by a pond. Little, three little frogs get up on the log there, right? Little boy looks at his dad and said, Dad, if one of those frogs said, 
I'm going to jump in that pond. How many frogs are left? Dad said, well, there, there'd, be, there'd be two frogs left. And he said, no, Dad, that ain't right. So Dad sits there a little bit and said, well, I know how frogs are. Usually if one frog jumps, the other frogs jump, right? So he says, there'd be no frogs left because they'd all jump in. He said, no, Dad, that's not right. All of them would be left. All three of them would still be on the log because just because you say you're going to jump in doesn't mean you are going to jump in. The reality is this, as simplistic as that story is, we have too many people who say, I want to jump in. I want to get involved. I want to participate in the church. They just like the talk. They don't like the walk. It's a distinct difference. I want to get involved. Are you willing to jump to get involved? Participation within the church requires act, active people. You know, I'm not into sports. You all know that. But I know a lot of people that are into sports, and they like, they like to judge every player. They're watching football. They might be in the stadium and in, in, up there on the bleachers, and they're looking down, and they're, they're saying, I would have done it this way, and I would have done it this way, and they shouldn't have done it this way, and they're eating their nachos and cheese. They're not players, though. They're just spectators. They're fans. They like the idea of what's going on, but they're not involved with what's going on. And I feel within the church too often we have the same thing. We don't have participators. We have spectators. We have people who say, you know what? If I was over outreach, I would do it this way. And I think we could get this done and we could do this and this. I had somebody, and he meant well. He has nothing to do with our church. And he was just somebody that was part of a church plant. And he said, listen, if I were you, every weekend I'd have a missions team in. Every weekend. That's what I would do. And not only that, I would do, and he named off two or three other things. I'm like, well, that's good. Did you ever start a church? And he's like, no, but if I were you, that's great. Do you know how much money it costs to do 5,000 door hangers that we're going to do this summer? Hundreds of dollars, hundreds. If I were you, I would give me some money so I can do what you said. We have three missions teams coming this summer. To host three missions teams takes time, takes money, and takes effort. And it takes a team participation. You can't be the frog that says, hey, I want to jump. Well, jump. Jump. I have so many people say, we need to grow. I had one guy that, it's been nearly a year ago, he just really just got a taste of Thrive Church, never really got involved. And he liked the idea of what we're doing. And he said, man, I wish we could get some more people from the community to come. And he said, it would make a difference. And I said, listen. We, we've been really blessed with so many people from the community that have come. Oh, I didn't know. And as gentle, as kind as I could, I said, it's because you don't come. Hey. He goes, yeah, you're right. I said, that's important. See, if you want to jump and get in part, uh, be a part of it, participate, you've got to come. You've got to get involved. You all follow me? It's not a 40% participation. It's not, a, it's not even really a 50% participation. Come on now. It's not just showing up half the time. It's showing up the majority of the time. Attend church faithfully. Exhortation. Paul dives right into this and he said, let me tell you something. There's consideration. There's a participation. But you can't leave this out. Exhortation. I had somebody tell me nobody uses that word anymore. The word should be translated encouragement. That is a word that people use said, but the word is not translated encouragement. <laughs> the word is exhort. See, encouragement is distinctly different than exhorting somebody. See, the word exhort means this. I'm not only just going to encourage you, I'm going to help carry you. 
Y'all follow me? When the Bible speaks of bearing one another's burdens, one another is in reference to the gathering of the church. We are in this together. I'm not just going to cheer you on. I'm not just going to encourage you. I'm going to help bear your burdens. I'm going to speak into your life, and we're going to do life together. Life is always better together. So if you're moping in the shadows and saying, I just can't, nobody, nobody's there for me. Are you there for anybody? No. When's the last time you exhorted somebody? Where's the exhortation? Because that's part of the church. Now watch what the Bible says. But exhorting one another. Again, the word exhort means to come alongside. It's mentioned 109 times in the New Testament for a reason. Because it's important to exhort. It's important to come alongside. Now, I know when you look at me, you're not going to think that I'm one of those guys that don't go to the gym. You're probably thinking he goes to the gym. <laughs> he goes to the gym. I know. Just. <clears throat> and when I was a kid, my brother would always provoke me. He provoked me negatively and positively, Denny, to go to the gym. He said, Dave, you need to go to the gym. Go to the gym with me. He was obsessed with the gym. So, um, so I, I went, to, I went with the, to the gym with Denny when I was a kid. I was in high school. My brother still today, he's what, 48, I think. He's still obsessed with going to the gym. Ever since he was in high school, he, he still goes to the gym. I hate going to the gym with my brother Denny. I'd go to the gym with anybody. But my brother Denny, when I go to the gym, I know what he's going to do. He is going to exhort me. Yes, his exhortation is going to be there. But it's embarrassing how he does it. I, I don't know if you have ever seen my brother. My brother Denny, uh, this is my brother Denny. He's, he's still got it. I mean, he's... He's, he's 48 years old. He's, he's, he's keeping it together. Not like me. He's got a long way to go to catch up with this. But um, he'd say, Dave, when we work out together, I've got to motivate you because I don't want you to quit. So I'd lay down on the bench, and, and I'd start doing some bench pressing, and, and I'd have 250, 350 pounds, and I'm just like, I'm pressing right. And Danny's like all in my face and all his, his sweat and his slobber and his obnoxiousness. He's just trying to motivate me. He's provoking me, right? And he's like, come on, Dave, dig deep and all this. And he's so loud. And I'm just embarrassed. I'm like, everybody's looking at us. Would you stop? Can't I just, I wish, can we just do this somewhere else? Why do you have to be so loud and obnoxious? He's like that all the time anyway. That's his face. Looks possessed. Like this is everything to him at that very moment. But there's two things he does. I noticed when I'm struggling, he keeps on provoking and exhorting and pushing. The Bible uses the word edifying. That's what the church is about, the edification of the saints. Say, come on, we've got this. But he goes a step further. He spots me. What's that mean? He, it means he puts both hands on the bar and he's helping me lift when I'm about to give out. When I'm to the point where I'm completely spent and I can't do it anymore. He's not just saying, you got this. He's helping me do it. That's exhortation. Keep on. Keep on. My question for you is, whose burdens are you bearing? Think very carefully. Now, let me use this word. Consider those you gather with. Consideration. Who are you helping bear burdens you say, well, I've got so many burdens of my own. Welcome to the world. Hello. Adam and Eve cursed it a long time ago. This is the reality of where we're at. My question is not about you in the sense that you're bearing burdens of your own. Are you bearing anybody else's burdens? You really need to evaluate when it comes to the gathering of the church and really dig deep and ask yourself this question. Is there any consideration? 
Am I provoking anybody to love and good works? Is, is there participation? Do I just check it off and say I attended church for one hour in the library? Or maybe you're involved with setup and teardown. Okay, great. That's an additional hour. We took two hours out of our week. That's not total participation. Time, talents, and treasures is participation. Where are you? Are you participating? Are you the frog that says, I want to jump, but I'm not going to jump? The other exhortation. Who is it that needs you that you're helping? Now, right now, you can think of maybe one person, two people, or maybe you got nobody. When's the last time you picked up the phone and said, how are you doing? And not only ask how they're doing, but encourage them. And also said, let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. You said, I'm not qualified. Every one of you are qualified to bear one another's burdens because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're qualified because the Holy Spirit lives within you. So you cannot baptize. Um, there's another word I'm messing up there. You cannot bypass Thank you. <laughs> the reality of helping one another. I love we get to edit our uh, podcasts. Makes me sound real good. You have to make a decision. And the decision starts now. We are about to enter into summer. And we have multiple things we want to do and accomplish. We cannot do it without you. Because it's almost over. And Paul closes things up simplistic, simply by saying this. Look at this. The very end of the verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I should eat. I, I really should take a moment and just drink as much caffeine as I can. I'm going to drink that nasty one. Something about caffeine clears the mind. I noticed Paul said this at the very end of verse 25. He said, there's a problem and it's coming fast. He didn't literally say it's the end of the world. But he says this, what you need to do as gathering together, do it as much as possible. And so much the more. Why? As you see the day approaching. Often that word day is translated with a capital D. Why? Because it's in direct reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. The day is coming soon. I love that the Bible says to see, look, look around. What are you dealing with in this world today? So there's another shooting. There's, there's some more persecution, uh, not necessarily in America, but we see it maybe in China. We see it in, in Afghanistan, Christians and in, in, in missionaries that are suffering you see the day approaching. And he says, the more you see it coming, the more you gather together and work together as a body of believers. I want you to do this. I want you to take a minute and ask yourself, do you really, really take it seriously, the coming again of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe Jesus is coming back? Because if you can answer that question honestly, then you would reevaluate everything in your life and say, Am I truly following Jesus Christ to the best of my ability and being involved in the church to the best of my ability? Am I faithful when it comes to the gather and worship? I don't know where you're at or what you're going through in your own home and the burdens you're bearing, but you don't need to bear them alone. We share our burdens. It makes the burdens a lot lighter.